This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political thread, Kobe Omanaka, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political mattresses, or blankets, or any other kind of soft furnishings, Diane and Tatton. How are you guys doing? How is your half term? Is it still ongoing for you guys? Hello, Kobe. Um, no, half term was last week for us down here in Devon, and it was all fine. The February one's a tough one, isn't it? Because the weather's not particularly great, but yeah, nice. But the news was still busy, blimey, really didn't stop. Yes, we're going to go through some of the highlights of the news last week. What about yourself, Tatton? Well, I'm a cushion this week, apparently. I'm going cushion <laughs> for my soft furnishing, which I believe means I get sat on a lot. So I'll take that. It depends on what kind of family you're in, because some families, a cushion, you're about to sit on and the cushion gets moved to the side just at the last second. Oh, yeah, decor only. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely not my vibe. No. <laughs> no, uh, I'm a utilitarian cushion. I'm doing all right. Uh, yes. A week off, so to speak, but obviously it wasn't a week off. It was not for us, not for us intrepid SPs bringing you stuff you wish wasn't going on in your feed. So that's nice. Well, let's head to the first part of the Simple Politics Podcast. That is where we review the top three posts from the Instagram feed. Tatten, take it away. What was the number three most popular post? All about those vegetables was number three because we've not got any vegetables and it's very sad for people who like peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers they are weeping into their empty salad bowls it's because well there's there's lots of reasons one reason is because (laughs) the weather kobe thank you The weather hasn't been great, apparently, in your North Africa and your southern Spain. And those of you who buy these products nowadays will know that a lot of them come from southern Spain and Morocco, other places like that. So that's problematic. There's also energy costs right near where I live. We've got a place called Thanet Earth, which is like the world's biggest greenhouse. And it's really amazing to look at. And they produce a heck of a lot of these these fruit and veg here from England. But they also have big shiny lights that kind of warm things up to make them the right growing. I'm a real agriculturalist. Growing culture, I think. Alan Tishmarsh, eat your heart out here. Yeah, yeah. And these lights are really expensive to energize. And the government haven't helped them. The government. This is not a sector of the government's giving them loads of money. So they produced a lot fewer tomatoes. So we are ripe for tomatoes running out. And there's a lot of chat about Brexit. I think the thing about Brexit in this is that we're back of the line for this stuff. There are all the pictures you see. You see two types of pictures on social media at the moment. You see one of empty empty shelves in the UK and others of full shelves in name your country, right? So we are back of the line to get them. That's the way it is. 
But the problems with the weather and the problems with the cost of energy are real. And I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, it's nothing to do with the weather. They're lying to us. Nothing happens in a vacuum. I would also add, I put it on the post because I wrote this post. It's very rare that I write the good ones. I wrote this post yesterday and I was saying there's lots of British veg that are available. And then I went out and for supper last night, I had a tart with mushrooms and leeks and carrots, with brie and creme fraiche, and I did some curry roasted cauliflower, and I made some wedges. All of those ingredients were British, and they were all readily available. So just eat local seasonal stuffs, and there isn't a problem. I mean, I wonder how many people who do promote eating seasonally are kind of teaching people how to how to do things now because that's that's a lot of the way to reduce energy consumption better for the earth reduce co2 in general and as we're seeing now we, it's something we can rely on a bit more although you know i love a, i love a, a capsicum or a pepper depending on which part of the country you're in i mean you're a bad person you're a bad person i would like to look yourself in the mirror and regret your decisions no but i'm also a fan of you know recently yes i do like a broccoli especially a tender stem i don't know if tender stems come from the uk but you know standard broccoli will also suffice so i think you're right i think it's, it's revert to what's available and, and make use of different parts of your recipe book that you're used to and look at cabbage recipes <laughs> i think i think one issue here um and, and we, we are turning into a very different podcast but one issue here is, <laughs> is uh is the humble brussels sprout which is a delicious vegetable that's in season all winter long and you can do delicious things with but we only eat it for like three weeks of the year and so they're growing all these sprouts and they're not being eaten in february when they're still every bit as delicious as they were then and there's a culture of, oh, no, we need to be eating capsicum. <laughs> I don't know why I said capsicum. Diane, what's the second most popular post this week? This is really, really, really tricky one. I feel really, it's hard to talk about, if I'm honest, and it's really polarizing, this post. And it was the news that Shamima Begum, who has been appealing the loss of her British citizenship. So I think most people are familiar with the story by now, but... She was 15 when she left the UK and joined ISIS and she's only in her early 20s and has lost the children that she's had. Sadly, she's lived in in camps. She's seen who knows what. But anyway, it was her hearing yesterday and she lost her case. So she won't be able to return to the UK. She's essentially stateless. And... I was thinking about this last night and just what that actually means for her now. Does she spend the rest of her life in a Syrian camp? You know, yes, it was a verdict yesterday, but there's still so many questions. And to try and not talk about it personally for a minute, there are very different opinions on the commentary below this post, okay? So there are people who raise the fact that she was 15, okay? There are many, many things in this country you cannot do at 15 because we consider you to be a child, yeah? So however you've got sucked into something and however horrendous it is, you're a child, right? There's also the thing of if you were born in Britain, if you're raised in Britain and you've been groomed or got involved in something, then a lot of people have suggested that we have the responsibility even if she comes back and faces some kind of justice in Britain or ends up in prison or whatever might happen, it's still the responsibility of the UK to take that on. 
that's what a lot of people suggested. On the other side of that, you've got people who say, you know, this was an organization who you can't feel to have known some pretty appalling things about before you left. But it's it's just a tragic situation, however you look at it. I'm still trying to get my head around it, to be honest. The repercussions for it? I can sense you're kind of in the turmoil there, Diane, and trying to explain both sides of the story. It's, it's a really tough one. It's a really, really tough one. What we need to say is that it's cut and dry because this was a legal case. This wasn't a, hey, Rishi, what do you want to do about this? No. This no, was the law. Yeah, it's the law. And yeah. the law has said she cannot come back. And leaving the country to support ISIS is a big thing to do. ISIS are specifically a an organisation at war with the UK. They're specifically a terrorist organisation. She spends time with them. There is lots of evidence that people who spend time with with organisations such as this are further radicalised, are further brought back into it. There is, people suggested, a security risk, amongst other things, of bringing her back to this country, allowing her back to this country. Well, we, do, we, we, we present both sides in this podcast, don't we? I think, I think that it's, it's not unreasonable to not want her in our country. And the law says she's not allowed in our country. So we can talk about her being 15. We can talk about her being brainwashed. We can talk about her being raped in a non-consensual marriage. We can talk about her losing her baby. We can talk about the camps and the tents and all of that stuff. But the legal judgment is clear. And the justification for that legal judgment is also there. Let's move on to the most popular post this week. Uh, Tatton, it's for you to take it away. Every single primary school child in London is going to get free school meals from September. This is a very controversial thing because it's a universal benefit, which means that people what are rich get paid benefits. And there's lots of really interesting things. One person said schools are already universal. Nobody pays for their textbooks. Nobody pays for their exercise books. Nobody pays for other things that they come into school and need. And the uh, benefit of universalism, well, there's two main benefits. One is that no one gets caught in the gap. Because if it's not universal, it has to stop somewhere up some kind of means-tested line. And that's a very leaky line. You're always going to get people who could probably afford it and do get the free school meals and people who can't afford it and don't. So if you go universal, it's, it's everybody, everybody, doesn't matter. There's also the idea of universalism that, that means that everyone does it together. And that's quite a unifying thing rather than, you know, right, right now, primary school teachers start the day with packed lunch or school dinner often. And, and, and the kids have to say whether they've got a packed lunch or they're having a school dinner. And there's, there's something slightly divisive there. And there's also often the more wealthy children with more wealthy uh, adults in their lives have packed lunches with various things in and people who can't afford that have the school dinners and so there's, there can be some especially in schools that don't have many kids on free school meals there can be some stigma attached there which is appalling so lots of positives for it healthy one one healthy hot meal every day is really good for a lot of children now disadvantages have you seen primary school meals they're not always that healthy they're not always that nutritious and delicious. But the main one is cost. It's really expensive. And 
we don't have loads of money sloshing around. Now, Sadiq Khan has found the money within various pots. Sadiq Khan's very good at getting private sponsorship. It's perfectly possible it's been provided by Dove Bubble Bath or whatever it is. He's found the money. And because London's quite glitzy and glamorous, I think it'd be easier to find the money to fund primary schools in London than it would be to find them here in Kent. There's just more money there and certainly other places. It's quite controversial. Keir Starmer wouldn't say he would do it for everybody. He says he likes the idea. If it's success, how we have measured success, we don't know. We might start to see it rolled out in more places. For me, hopefully it works. It's like the opposite of false economies. We're spending a bit more at the top end to make sure that everyone has as great an opportunity to an education and they don't have to consider this one basic, basic need in their day. You just don't want people to be hungry whilst they're supposed to be learning. Or ever. Or ever. And it's worth saying that obviously this is London, but Wales are doing this. The other places are doing it. Wales are rolling it out at the minute. But the way their budget works, they're rolling it out by year. So I think reception year one and year two maybe went this September and then it gathers momentum that way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let's head over to the mailbag. This is where you guys, as the listeners and the readers of Simple Politics, get to have your say or ask a question of the team. Diane, do we have any questions this week? We had loads of questions this week. I think people missed us last week. and um, we I, have... I missed us last week. <laughs> Let's go with vegetables again. We've got a glut of questions. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick one specific to focus on this week, and then we'll carry some over because they are really quite good. So the question came from Instagram, and Amar Beer asked, is COVID-19 or something similar going to come back again? Is the country now more prepared? What do you think to that, Tatten? Oh, do you want the quick answer or the long answer? So the medium answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The quick answer first. Is COVID-19 or something similar going to come back again? Yes, it is. At some point. I mean, not today. I mean, who knows? Who knows the time frame? People have been warning of something like COVID-19 coming for a long time before it actually did. While we have communities anywhere in the world where people are packed together and where hygiene is difficult to maintain, viruses can can grow. And sometimes they're going to be minor ones, sometimes it's going to be SARS, and it's going to be treatable and deal-withable. And then we've got bird flu, and then we've got Ebola. I think that since COVID-19, we do hear more about flare-ups around the world because because newspapers like to scare us and newspapers like to say oh look this might come back do you remember covid wasn't that awful it might come back i was gonna say there's there's that recent outbreak of uh, monkeypox for example that had lower coverage mainly confined to the states for example i listened to american news podcasts and it kept kept flaring up there and there again but quickly kind of died away and i'm sure there's still outbreaks happening sure there's still things going on but again because it's over the Atlantic Ocean. On that one, we did have monkeypox here, but I think because it's largely spread by men who have sex with men, that again creates the other for people who aren't in that community. And there's some kind of value judgments being made there. I think that the monkeypox coverage was all kinds of 
all kinds of wrong. But the question is, are we now more prepared for something to come back? And the answer to that is absolutely 100% no, we're not. A little bit more prepared? If we needed to isolate again, how many people are going to do that? I don't know. I, I'd like this thought experiment because I my thoughts are the first lockdown came along. We didn't know what was going on. People whined and moaned. Ultimately got around it and, and kind of had an enjoyable time. But if you know, if a lockdown was supposed to happen now, I think people would complain. But if a lockdown was supposed to ha- happen in maybe five years' time, I think people would rally around again. I think they'd be like, right, we need to do this, guys. We need to make sure we, we close this out. And I think hopefully the response would be quicker and people would realise that we need to respond quicker. That's where my head's at. Maybe that's a, a counter-argument. I think Partygate. Partygate. Yeah. Just okay. massively under- undermined everything. I think that Dominic Cummings and Partygate and all of that stuff, the trust involved has gone. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe in five years' time, we could bring some restrictions back in. But if there was another wave of COVID now, the government would be in real trouble because they can't do restrictions anymore. But I guess restrictions is one part of it, isn't it? So if you're talking about the whole thing and the preparedness, surely we have blueprints now for how to do this sort of thing. We will be better prepared in terms of rallying who we needed to be in certain rooms at certain times and make key decisions. I know the COVID inquiry is just kind of starting. Well, it's not even really got started. There's been some preliminary stuff, but there's going to be lessons learned. There's going to be stuff we take forward from this. Diane, are we going to come out of it with a better NHS? Well, that's not the question, Tatten. The question is, are we be- going to be better? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Is our NHS going to be better prepared? It's not. It depends on the scenario. You know, it's COVID or something similar. So who knows what the scenario is? But in terms of a major, major, major event, we've got to take some learnings for what happened. You are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If we don't need any restrictions and we don't need the NHS, We'd be absolutely fine with the new pandemic. <laughs> well, no, I mean we, we we've can agreed do we can't have restrictions, good, can't and we? we've agreed <laughs> the NHS is no better. So if we had if we had a pandemic that didn't involve the NHS or restrictions, well, we'd be absolutely ready for it. Yeah. So Amabe, the answer is we don't know. Possibly a bit more prepared. Possibly less prepared. There will be some other infection that comes round. How far it gets, how far it affects the world, we don't know. But there will be something else that comes round, and this is it's a repeating cycle, infrequently. There's smallpox, there's COVID, they'll be the next thing. Whether we're alive to see or not is remains to be seen. Okay, let's head on to the PM Watch. Tat and Diane, how are your spies doing on Rishi Sunak? We are working with as many people as possible to get some kind of deal done about trading with Northern Ireland because so the UK has different regulations for many things, including food, right? So let's take a sausage. Let's take, we say sausages in the UK are allowed to be 15% sawdust and sausages in Ireland are only allowed to be 10% sawdust. If you ship a sausage to Northern Ireland, does it have to be 10 or 15%? If it's going to go from Northern Ireland into the Republic of Ireland, it would have to do the EU regulations. But if it's going to stay in Northern Ireland, it would have to do the UK regulations. Now, at the moment, there's effectively a border between Great Britain, 
between Scotland, Wales and England and Northern Ireland, because to enter Northern Ireland, things have to be EU regs so that there is no border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. And we cannot have a border between Ireland and Northern Ireland because like some people's houses are like over where the border would be and you'd have to do passport control to get from the living room to the kitchen because it's it's a very difficult border to maintain. So Rishi is trying to sort this out and it's really hard. My understanding is there has to be a border somewhere. It can be in the Irish Sea. It can be on the border of Northern Ireland. But if you've got regulations that are different, there has to be a border somewhere. It's hard and the DUP, who are the unionists who who want to be part of the UK are, are, are very stubborn about it because they don't want a border anywhere. Last night, as we're recording, last night, a police officer was shot multiple times. There were two gunmen who shot him twice. And then when he ran away and fell over, they shot him some more. This is the new IRA, they're called. This is sectarian violence in our country and it's a disgrace but people have been warning of this with all of the shit that's going on in northern ireland and it's a hell of a big job and oh my god i want rishi sunak to be able to find something that everyone can get behind i don't know what it can be (laughs) i don't know how the good friday agreement was 29 years ago and in that time We've had an assembly and then that's crumbled. The assembly's crumbled. The unity's crumbled. We're having police officers killed in our country. It's a state. Go on, Rishi. Let's see what we can do. I think, you know, we just got to get behind the guy and hope he can find something. Diane, you were around uh, during the Good Friday Agreement, um, the first, the actual agreement itself. Can you tell us about your about your experience with it? Yes, it's 25 years old in, in April. And that agreement was really hard fought for, really hard fought for. Mo Molem at the time, as Northern Ireland Secretary, did some amazing work to bring people to get, when, when it wasn't thought possible at all to get a power sharing agreement, to have people who think pretty much the opposite of each other agree to sit down and form a government together. And There was such hard stuff in that for people to swallow. There was some stuff about prisoner release. There was, you know, some big things for each community to to agree to. And the fact that that happened was monumental, absolutely monumental. And that anniversary is coming up. And it would be such a shame if on that 25th anniversary, Stormont was still in bits. It would just be so sad, so, so sad. So, yes, like Tatton says, really hope some kind of agreement. And, you know, Rishi's trying to pull stuff out of the bag, trying to be creative. It's a massive problem. How do you have checks without it seeming like a border? You know, and there's all sorts of things like there might be this preferred traders list that if you're on it, there might be just no checks, you know, that that's an option. So you've kind of done something to get yourself on this list and then your goods don't have to have a check. That's something that's been, been kind of muted. Whatever it is, it's just, it, it's a difficult, difficult age-old situation. And I really, really hope that we're sitting here in April and something positive has happened. You know, we, we don't want to go backwards. What I will say is Rishi, Rishi's in a tight spot here. 
guys. And I think it's one of those places where we do need to give him as much support as possible because the the fallout could be far greater than anyone anticipates. And we, we none of us wants that. None of us wants that. With that, guys, let's head to the crystal ball. What will be the big stories next week? Diane? It's been really interesting over the past days, weeks. We're starting to get little drip feeds of what Labour's offering is going to be, what the manifesto might look like when it comes to the next general election. We're going to hear from Keir later on today. It's Thursday about some national missions that he has. <laughs> we are also starting to have other bits of policy drip through. We had something about their new style of ASBO, a respect order yesterday, other bits and pieces. Crime seems to have been quite a focus recently, but they're going to move on to other areas. So that stuff continues to drip through. And actually, when it's policy and when it's ideas, I do find that really interesting to post on and to see how people react, see the kind of like litmus test for some of these ideas that are coming forward. So yeah, one to watch. I love the idea of the SP readers being a litmus test for the government. I hope Rishi and Keir Starmer and everyone involved in, in the government reads the Simple Politics Instagram feed. They do. They do, Cobes. <laughs> <laughs> Tatton, what's on your crystal ball agenda for next week? As Starmer's laying out some plans, I think we're going to hear from Sunak as well. I think we're going to hear from Sunak on antisocial behaviour and maybe, maybe some other bits. And what we're building up towards is we're building up towards next month's budget. So some announcements that will need money. But we're also building up towards the Queen's speech, the, excuse me, the King's speech, which is every year and it's kind of the end of term and the start of the new term of the new year for Parliament. And every bill, any law that's going through Parliament needs to be finished by then. So as we're getting to this point, we're starting to look at what's going to be in the King's speech for next year. It's quite late on. I mean, what, anything that's announced next week won't be in Parliament till mid-March. And then to get that through all the hoops by May is difficult. So we're beginning to hear th things that might come through from May forward. And it will also be probably the last King's speech before the general election. So we're probably going to start hearing, as I just said, we've got Starmer starting to set out election things. And we're going to hear some things from Rishi Sunak including this and social behavior stuff that they're going to want to have in law so they can say look at what we've done Starmer's all talk look at what concrete steps we've taken for you the ordinary british worker this is it so announcements 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 both sides and nurses are not striking next week they're back around the table so we can expect to hear either that they've agreed something and the government's backed down or that they haven't and we'll get more strike dates. Okay, well, let's keep an eye on that and we can all discuss next week to see if your crystal balls have come true. It's been a heavy episode, uh, this one. Sometimes they are heavy. That's just the nature of the news cycle. It's the nature of what happens in politics. Hopefully, we'll have a lighter, frothier one next week, but we'll see. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure as always.
You just heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.